I'm going to read from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I just want to stop there for a minute. In, in history, the, this great King Uzziah, who was um, a king that was part of God's restoration plan uh, for, for the nation of Israel, and he really did a lot to recover so much that was lost of the glory of God, but he didn't. He, he, he died before his time. He died of an illness. And Isaiah was not only a prophet, but it was a friend of this king. This king was a godly man. He didn't finish well, but he was a godly man uh, from, from many of the times of his reign. So, for example, one of the things he did, it's recorded in the Old Testament, that he saw the fortification of a city. And where there were points of weakness in the fortification, he built strong towers in that place. And and, and I really believe that's a picture of, of what God asks us to do in our lives, that where there's areas of weakness, where there's areas that the enemy tries to exploit, where there's areas in our thought life that don't line up with what God says about us, I believe it's time to build really strong towers of God's Word in those areas so that we're not open to uh, the lies of the enemy, but also not open to the words of men that would contradict what God has said to us, or the situation we face contradict what God has said to us. So, I really believe that God wants us in these days to take the example of that king out of a natural picture into the picture of our lives and say, in areas where there's weakness, I'm going to build a tower. I'm going to build a tower of God's word. I'm going to use the word skillfully in those areas to make sure that there is adequate defenses. Does that make sense? So instead, so often, we can be sin conscious and conscious of the areas where we're weak or conscious of the areas where we make mistakes time and time again. And that can bring condemnation and it can make us feel down about ourselves. It can make us not want to be a part of a church fellowship or just be depressed. But God wants us to look at it his way and say, okay, if there's weakness there, it's time for it to become strength. If there's foolishness there, it's time for it to become wisdom. God is into restoration. God is into turning things around. And he wants us to have that same heart and that same eye, not just for ourselves, but for everybody out there. When other people look at a person or a situation and say, that's a complete mess, you look at it. And get a message from it and a testimony from it. You look at it and say, God, with God we can turn this around. With God we can make this better. With God we can restore, we can bring renovation, we can bring change. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12. And he said, in that particular chapter, verse 1, he says, verse 1 and 2, one of the things he says there is, in the New Living Translation is let God transform you by changing the way you think. Or let, let, let you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now mind and heart, for, from a Hebrew perspective, are the same thing. It's not the intellect and then the emotions. The mind and the heart are the same thing. So, so Paul is saying, let God. We've got to let God. We've got to, what, what does it mean to let God renew our mind? It means to find out what God says and replace thoughts 
that are negative, thoughts that bring us down, thoughts that can stop us achieving what God put on our lives, thoughts that make us feel weak and depressed, to replace those thoughts with what God says about us. Replace those thoughts with the promises of God. You know, you may think, well, I'm coming to the end of my life, or I'm, I'm not doing very well, I've not got as much energy as I used to have, but there are promises and prophecies over your life and over my life that we've got so many to achieve and so many to believe for that it's time to go over those things. What has God said to you about your life? What has God said to you in his word of the promises? What has God said to you through prophetic word? It's time to build strong towers in areas of weakness. You see, God has an amazing way of taking somebody who's messed up in a certain area and making them wise in that area. He has an amazing way of taking somebody who seemingly to the world is a complete mess up and transforming that person in such a way that where they were weak in that area, they become great and strong. It's an amazing, you see it time and time again. In fact, if I was to say to you, if you just for a moment think about your greatest weakness, and it's good to be self-aware. So often Christians, we're aware of everybody else and not aware of ourselves. But it's good to be self-aware to the point where you have, a, as the Bible says, a sober opinion of yourself in Romans 12. But if you were to name your, your strongest weakness, can I suggest that that area where you were weak in, whether it's in how you view yourself, whether it be in your finances, whether it be in faith, whether it be in courage, as Mark was speaking on this morning, whatever area where there's a weakness, you are a candidate for transformation. You are a candidate for God to turn it around. You are a candidate for restoration. Where any area that the world writes you off in, is a place where God wants to get involved and turn it around. That's the nature of our God. You see it time and time again. Look at some of the people he picked as his disciples. They weren't the greatest politicians of the day. They weren't the greatest famous people of the day. They were ordinary people like you and me. They were people that others may pass by on. They were people that may not seem significant. But the Bible says about them, in one generation, they turned the world upside down. Why? Because they started to realize who they were. But more importantly, they started to realize who God was in them. And I really believe that we're in a season of preparation. I, I, I really believe that we have to be humble enough to realize that we haven't got it all together. That we've got so much more to learn. That we've got so much more to develop in. And in this season, God is asking, I believe he's asking for more of our heart to develop, more of our mind to develop, more of our life to develop in his love. Amen? And Isaiah is an amazing character, and I, 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 I love this guy. Came up with some of the most amazing poetic words that he saw in the spiritual realm to describe the death, the resurrection, and the, the, and the life of Jesus and his purpose but we pick up in chapter 6, and I would suggest to you that Isaiah is not feeling brilliant because his friends just died. And in fact, if you read chapters 1 to 5, Isaiah spent a lot of time prophesying against stuff. Woe to you, and woe to this, and woe to the other, and woe to this place, and woe to this person. And how about you? Let me give you a prophecy. Ah, you know, it went for him as well. 
And, and he gets so upset that he even says, woe to builders sometimes. Now, I know some of us have had dodgy experience with builders over the years, and they did obviously thousands of years ago as well. But woe to the builders even, he goes on about. You know, so he really goes for it with his prophetic judgment. And now what happens in chapter 6? He encounters the God that gave him the gift to prophesy, and it changes something in him. He goes from saying woe to everybody else to saying woe is me. Let's read on. I'm just going to read verse 1 again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is a beautiful picture. This idea that the train of his robe, his robe stands for his authority. His robe stands for his majesty. The train of his robe filled the temple. There was no place in this place you could go from the sovereign power and presence of God. This was an awesome place to be. There was nothing outside of God's power in this place. There was nothing. Nobody would dare contradict God. Nobody would dare raise their voice against God in this place. His train filled the temple. His robe filled the temple. It was, it was a moment not to say, yeah, but God. It was a moment to just shut up. Because God is awesome in this place. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, his feet. With two, he flew. Then one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as these seraphim were praising God, these mighty Mighty, majestic beings, as they're praising God, as the train of God's robe fills the temple, this awesome throne, Isaiah, who says, woe to everybody else, finds himself in this place. He finds himself in this moment. And as they're worshipping, as these mighty angels are worshipping, they get a revelation of God's nature. They say, holy, like we said tonight, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They got a revelation that God is three in one. Father, holy. Son, holy. Holy Spirit, holy. They were seeing God as he really is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we worship, don't underestimate the power of singing songs and worshiping God. As Mark said this morning, and it was a great message he shared, I know worship is a lifestyle, but there's something amazing about singing and worshiping God and, and making a joyful noise to him. And as we worship God with singing, as we, because God created music, by the way. It wasn't Led Zeppelin, you know, it was God, all right? God created music. He is, a, he is one particular verse of scripture in Revelation. It says the, the voice of Jesus is the sound of many waters. Uh, some of the amazing um, orchestras that, Old Testament kings like David put together just to worship God. God loves music. And the enemy has twisted music to bring all sorts of moods and atmospheres into people's hearts and lives that don't represent the love of God. But I believe that the church is redeeming music back, is restoring music back, and there is so much variety of good 
Christian music out there, you don't have to listen to some junk. There's so much good stuff out there, isn't there? And, uh, you know, just to fill your home with that atmosphere. You know, we, we have a habit when we walk in our house, uh, when we're maybe preparing a meal in the evening for our family, we'll just put on worship music in the house. We'll put on YouTube on the TV with some worship music there, or we'll just, you know, I'm still old school, so I'll put on a CD or even a vinyl, put it that way. But just to fill the house with the atmosphere of the presence of God. And you may say, well, that's super spiritual. Well, that's fine. For me, it works because it, it, it helps create an atmosphere that's a good atmosphere. And we create atmospheres in our hearts and our lives every day. And God wants us to be a worshiper. God wants us to have a beautiful song in our heart. And God wants us to encounter Him and get fresh revelation of Him when we come together. When we sing the songs we sing, that we see Him just a little bit more. We have a fresh revelation of Him just a little bit closer. Anybody say amen to that? Let's read on. Verse 4. And the pulse of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. I mean, this is an awesome scene, isn't it? So I said, this is Isaiah, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. What's he just been doing for five chapters, judging everybody else? And he comes to the conclusion that he is a man of unclean lips. Isn't that interesting? See, oftentimes our judgments on other people are a reflection of the state of our own heart. Jesus put it this way. He says, if you, if you want to take the speck out of your brother's eye, first take the plank out of your own. The word plank is, is, is basically a bigger piece of wood than the speck of wood that's in your brother's eye. It's the same substance. And when we judge somebody else, I, a lot of times... It's to do with something that's going on in our own heart that's a big problem. The only, the only judgment I believe that we're allowed, as the Bible says, is we judge ourselves. We have a sober opinion of ourselves. God is judge. We are not. Amen? And he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, here we go, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's got to put that in, you know. It's not just me, God. It's everybody else. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think one thing that was going through Isaiah's heart and mind is his utter realization of his humanity standing before the ultimate deity. Standing before the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And you know, I believe rightly so, there's such an emphasis on intimacy and there's such an emphasis on God being our father and God being motherly towards us and God being like a big brother and God being like a friend that sticks closer to a brother. But he's also awesome. He's also majestic. He's also a God not to be trifled with, not to be messed about with, not to play games with. Because he's awesome. He's an awesome God. And he takes us at our word. Just as he's asking us to take his word and believe it. 
And what we say, he takes us as his word. So if we say in worship, I give you my life, he says, okay. I'll do anything for you, God, okay. And then we're doing something that's pretty hard. We say, God, get me out of this. And he says, well, you said you'd do anything for me. And this is what I want you to do. In verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Listen to this. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Sin, we pretty know what that's about. The great I between the S and the N. It's all about selfish living. Iniquity, another way to describe iniquity is fault. A bit like a fault line in a rock formation that can cause earthquakes and, and various things like that. There's a fault. There's something below the surface. There's, a, there's an iniquity that can be present in the life of human beings and present in the life of all of us. And here, whatever was on this altar came and cleansed not just the sin, not just the selfishness, but something underneath the root causes. It's interesting, the Bible says in, in Isaiah, says in 50, Isaiah 53, that Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's interesting that when you get a bruise, it means that there is what? There is internal bleeding, isn't it? A bruise means there's an internal bleeding. So Jesus bled internally to deal with our internal faults. That's quite powerful. You see, the work of Jesus was a complete work. Not just a surface work, a complete work. And this picture of this coal touching Isaiah's lips, what is it a picture of? Well, first of all, it was from an altar. Who is the sacrifice that was pleasing and acceptable in heaven? Jesus. So this altar that we're looking at is a representative of our Lord. It's a representative of Jesus. That's why when he takes a live coal from an altar and touches the lips of Isaiah, Isaiah doesn't go, ouch! That really hurt. He doesn't do that. Why? Because we're dealing with something that's not in the physical realm. We're dealing with a picture of a greater reality, which is Christ. So literally, the answer to Isaiah being a man of unclean lips, and the answer to Isaiah saying, woe is me, well, I've got to watch out here. I am nothing compared to this great deity God, this great creator of the heavens and the earth. The answer to that sense of identity is to be touched by Jesus is to allow Jesus to heal your identity, to heal your heart. So even before the presence of Father God, even before the presence of the creator of the heavens and the earth, there is humility and there is awe, but there's also a sense of standing before God just as if you never sinned. That's called justification. We're justified by his blood. God doesn't want us to cower before him. He wants us to be 
in awe because you can't help but be in awe of who he is. But he doesn't want us to cower. He doesn't want encounter with him to produce a sense of inferiority in us. He wants encounter with him to produce a sense of awe, but a sense of as I look to him, I'm also being transformed. I better give you a scripture because some of you are looking at me like, what? This is, this is heresy here. So let's look at the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Keep your place in Isaiah. Keep your place in Isaiah and we'll just look at one more scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What is this verse saying? As I'm beholding Him, I'm becoming like him. As I'm beholding him in his word, I'm becoming more like him. As I'm beholding him in his presence, I'm becoming more like him. As I'm confessing the word of God and beholding myself the way he sees me, I'm becoming more like him. As I'm worshiping him, kneeling down, prostrate before him, on my back, soaking before him, listening to how awesome he is, as that's happening, what's happening? I'm becoming more like him. God is not selfish. He doesn't require our worship because he's insecure. He requires our worship because through our worship, he wants to make us more like him in our experience. Oh, I wish you could get that. I really do. It's so simple. It's so simple. Give your heart to him. Give your life to him. Give your time to him as much as you can. Give your consciousness to him. Because you're not what they've said you are. You are all that he says you are. Let's go back to Isaiah 6. Verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Have you noticed there's a council going on here? Us. The, the Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in council together. And God wants you and I to be part of his council. I think that's awesome. They must pray more. What, what does that mean? It's God's beckoning to say to you, I want you to be in my council. I want, think about it for a moment. The God who created the heavens and the earth wants to have you in his council. Well, I just want to listen to God. Absolutely. But he wants you to be part of his council. And it says here, whom shall I send? Have you noticed that God didn't, when Isaiah said, woe is me and I'm a man of unclean lips, he didn't say, get out of my presence. How dare you come in here with unclean lips? Literally, if you think about it, sin was in the presence of God. And this man wasn't destroyed. Interesting, isn't it? So he didn't banish him. 
And nor did he point out, yes, I agree with you, you're a man of unclean lips. You need to book your ideas up and get sorted. He doesn't even acknowledge it, does he? The father from his throne doesn't even acknowledge it. He doesn't acknowledge the sin in the man. He just finds a cure for it so that that man can go from a sinner to a saint, from weak to be an ambassador. God is looking for people to send. He's not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the willing. He says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Have you noticed there was a choice in this? This is God. I wonder if there was other people who were in this place of counsel. We don't know. We only know Isaiah was there. But I wonder if this counsel was heard by others and some said, I don't think I'm going to go. I don't think I'm going to be sent to you because I don't know what's going to entail. I don't know what hardships are going to be there. I don't know the end from the beginning. You, you only give me a, a little bit of a picture ahead. But Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And he goes on to talk about the state of the people's heart because God is interested in our hearts. He's not interested in our sacrifices. He's interested in our hearts and transforming our hearts. Because if he can transform our hearts and our minds, he can transform our behavior. So this man decided to go and be sent as a prophet. And if you read the rest of the book, there are some amazing prophecies in this book, all of which were fulfilled hundreds of years later by our Lord and Savior through his, through his birth, life, death, and resurrection. What an awesome privilege Isaiah had to be the one that spoke forth such beautiful things about Jesus into the earth. What a privilege. Have you noticed when you read earlier on the Gospels, so often, time and time again, it says, this was fulfilled, this, was, this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. It's like God is saying, I want partnership with somebody who will be my voice in the earth. And this man and a number of other men and women had the privilege of speaking God's plan of his son into the earth in such great detail, if you read the book of Isaiah. It's impossible. It, it's beyond probability that all the prophecies that relate to Jesus' life in the Old Testament could ever be fulfilled in one 33-year period by one man in one place. It's an impossibility when you think of probability. But it's absolutely supernatural. And it happened because this man and others said, here I am, send me. And I wonder as you sit in this room tonight with the few people that are here, I wonder if I can give you the challenge to say, spend time with him and find out what you were sent on this earth for and go and do it. Because if you find that and go and do it, it will be a place, even with all hardship that comes against you, it will be a place of great fruit, not just for your life, 
but for generations to come. This man had a choice to continue his prophetic ministry like so many, so many other um, Jewish prophets bringing judgment. But when he met with God, it completely changed. And even though there was still judgment on nations that were against God, he spoke some of the most amazing, beautiful prophecies of the wonderful, saving, delivering work of Jesus. And nobody can take that away from him. And there's certain things that I'm called to do and you're called to do and God hasn't got plan B. It's you and me. It's you that's called to do that. It's me that's called to do that. And he has so much faith in us that he's saying to us tonight in this little hall, he's saying to us tonight, will you get before me? Will you come to me and spend time with me so I can send you to do all that I've called you to do? Would you stand with me, please? Well, I'm sorry there wasn't many jokes tonight, and we didn't have a lot of fun. It wasn't like a chat show. But I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to bring the Word of God. And I really believe that God's wanting me to share that tonight, and I hope it's gone into your heart and your life, and I hope it will cause you to spend more time with Him and spend more time hearing how He wants to send you into this world. Father, I thank you for every person here. Father, I pray great blessing upon them this week. Father, I pray that the greatest blessing they will have this week is the blessing of your presence in their life and the blessing of your presence in their heart. And Father, that they would be able to become conscious, more conscious of you than anything else in this, that this world can offer. And Father, that you would speak to them and that you would send them, maybe send them down the road to speak to that person who needs to hear the love of Jesus that day, otherwise they may commit suicide. Father, whatever it would be, Lord, I pray that we would be those that hear your voice and reply, here I am, send me. Amen. Because in that statement, brothers and sisters, Isaiah was starting to see his true identity. Here I am. This is... This is the place I belong. I belong in this heavenly realm. I belong with my Father. I belong here. I'm no longer a man of unclean lips. I'm no longer seeing everybody else as unclean. I'm here. This is where I belong. And I'm going to take this presence to the world around me. I'm going to take this love to the world around me. I'm going to take this life to the world around me. And that is the same commission that's on you and me. Amen. Have a great week. Bless you.